सहनावतो सहनो भुनक्तो सहवीर्यंकवाहै तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तु मिद्वहै नमश्रीशंकरानंद नमश्रीशंकरानंद गुरुपादाबुजन्मने गुरुपादाबुजन्मने सविलासमोह सविलासमोह ग्राहग्रासकर्मणे We have been discussing what has been called here Samvadi Brahma, what is called a leading error. So sometimes you meet a desired end, you achieve something that you desire accidentally, unexpectedly. or even through an error ka ayatha vastu vijnanat phalam labhyate ipsitam ka gatariye tasoyam samvadi bhama uchyate several illustrations were given one illustration that was given was the illustration of a jam process a lamp so jam emits a ray of light which falls perhaps on a wall or on a on the threshold and the house there is a small lamp that emits a ray of light and that falls on the threshold of that house and two persons see this separately both of them mistake those little circles of light to be jams and run towards that both are wrong because the light is mistaken to be jam however one who mistakes the light of jam finds a jam nearby where the one who mistakes the light of lamp to be jam does not find it and therefore even though both of them are errors one is a misleading error in other says it does not lead him to a jam and other is a leading error that error leads to what he was looking for <coughs> and the illustration that was given was inference that actually wherever there is a smoke there must be fire now in fact upon the hillock there was mist and this was thought it was smoke and therefore he inferred that there must be fire his inference was wrong because fire can be there only when there is smoke so however he goes there and finds fire just accidentally so fire happens to be there not that the, the mist that he saw was not the product of the fire but fire happens to be there and therefore you know, even though it was an error even though his inference was an error it led him to the fire which he was looking for and so these kind of errors are there we experience that accidentally we find things or even though there was an error committed by us we find or get the right thing that we are looking for so this kind of illustration is called samvadi bhrama a leading error he is kakataliyatah the final illustration was given was that on a palm tree a crow sits there on the branch of a palm tree let us say and the branch the palm fruit falls down so the crow himself gets it or a man was sitting under the palm tree he wanted a palm fruit but didn't know how to get it because it is so high a crow happens to sit on that branch and that palm fruit falls down and this man gets it so here also it just happens by accident or uh, you know in an unexpected manner 
So this kind of illustrations are rare in our life. In short, there is a phenomenon called samvadibhana or a leading error. <coughs> this is what has been established in the 12 verses which we discussed so far. Now we come to the subject matter. What is the reason for discussion? This chapter is called Dhyana Deepa Prakranam. It's a chapter which deals with the meditation on Brahman. So the author has been, has been now preparing the background for discussing the subject of meditation upon Brahman. Brahman is devoid of any attributes, devoid of name, form or any attribute or quality required for meditation. For meditation you require some form, some quality, some attribute. Then alone mind can visualize it. <coughs> the Brahman of the truth is devoid of any qualities, devoid of any attribute and therefore in fact it cannot become the object of meditation. And still, here in this chapter, author wants to make a point that Brahman can become the object of meditation and that meditation or upasana on Brahman can lead to the knowledge of Brahman. That's the whole idea here. Mm-hmm. So, in the thirteenth verse, the discussion starts like this. Nano, Brahma upasanasya ayasavastu vishasya katham sammi says that you are saying that Brahma Upasanam or the meditation upon Brahman as we discussed earlier also meditation always involves some kind of superimposition. So you meditate on Lord Dakshinamurti let us say with the help of a, a form or an image. So what we have in front of us is a stone image with certain features and based on that image with the help of that image we meditate on Dakshinamurti. We say that the fire on the, in the, in one hand of Dakshinamurti, uh, you know, denotes destruction and a small drum in the other hand of Dakshinamurti denotes creation. Thus Dakshinamurti is a very substratum for the creation, destruction and, and sustenance. Thus we say, so various features of Dakshinamurti refer to the various aspects of Lord. And thus, this image which we have in front of us, that is used as an alambram, as a locus for meditation upon Dakshinamurti. So, here upon the stone image, we superimpose the idea of, of Godhood, we superimpose the idea of divinity, of all-pervasiveness and whatever, and thus meditate upon the Lord who is all-pervasive or benevolent or teacher. And thus, what we meditate upon is Lord. But that with which, the help of which we meditate is a stone image. Thus upon the stone image we superimpose those aspects and then meditate. So meditation always involves a superimposition. So I am looking at an image and meditating upon God. So what I am thinking of is different from what I am looking at. So my perceptual knowledge is that of a stone image. But what I am meditating upon is, is God, is Lord. And therefore, what I am thinking is different from what I am perceiving. So, thus, upasana or meditation always involves the knowledge which is not true. My knowledge is that of an image of stone, whereas my thought is pertaining to the Lord, and therefore, there is no correspondence between the knowledge and my thought. <coughs> if you look at the stone and know it is stone, then it's fine. 
but he had to look at the stone and know it as God, in which case it is not true knowledge. So this meditation or the worship involves the knowledge is not true knowledge. Similarly also, if you want to meditate on Brahman, then naturally it is not going to be true knowledge because upasana or meditation involves self-effort. Understand that jnanam or knowledge is vastu tantram. Knowledge is that that is determined by the object of knowledge. Whereas karma or action is purusha tantram. Action is that which is dependent upon the performer of the action. So speaking an action is an action. And that's why it depends upon me, what to speak, what not to speak, whether to speak or not, is all decided by the speaker himself. But these words are heard by you. You don't have a choice in hearing the words other than what are spoken. So even though I'm talking in English language, you cannot have the knowledge that Swami is talking in Sanskrit language or some other language. Or I'm talking of one particular thing and you cannot insist or you cannot determine that I'm talking of something else. The idea is that the knowledge of the words that takes place in your mind is true to the words. And you do not have the choice to know them differently. There's a flower in front of me, I have to know it as flower. When I see the flower, a perception of flower or knowledge of flower takes place in my mind. And I cannot say that it it is an elephant or it's a pot or it's a book. I don't have the choice because the knowledge is governed by the object. Yes, whether to pick that flower or not, that action is something that is determined by the one who performs action. So, upasana or meditation also is a karma, is also a mental activity where an effort is involved on the part of the person. Because when I meditate on something, I have to visualize. And visualization is an effort, a mental effort. And therefore, meditation, upasana is purushatantram, is dependent upon the person who meditates. Whereas, knowledge is vastutantram, knowledge is decided by the vastu. So, if there is a stone image in front of me, and I know it a stone image, then it will be called knowledge. Because my knowledge is in keeping with the thing at least. But there is in front of me a stone image, and I look upon that as God, let us say, then my knowledge is not in keeping with the thing which is in front of me. Then it is not true knowledge, it is a different kind of knowledge. It is a dhyarupa or superimposition. So meditation always is based on, this kind of meditation is based on the knowledge which is not true knowledge. As I said, the knowledge in my mind is that of God and what is in front of me is a stone image and therefore the object does not correspond correspond to the knowledge that I have in my mind and therefore it is not what we call true knowledge. <coughs> so that is the question raised here. Nanu That meditation upon Brahman involves Ayathavastu. You are not meditating upon Brahman as it is. Because it is not available for meditation. It is without any attributes. So you have to meditate on Brahman with some attributes, in some way. <coughs> And therefore, <coughs> that meditation is not exactly according to, I mean, you know, uh, the subject of meditation is not Brahman exactly, but it's something that you are visualizing or imagining in your mind. Katham mukti How can this meditation upon Brahman become the 
can give rise to mukti or liberation. Because samyak jnana sadhyam, the liberation or moksha can be achieved only by samyak jnana, by true knowledge. Only when I know Brahman as it is, then alone that knowledge which is called samyak jnana or true knowledge, that alone can be the means of liberation. But meditation is not samyak jnana, is not true knowledge, it is a knowledge that involves superimposition and therefore that upasana or meditation cannot become the means for liberation. So, the question is asked here that the meditation upon Brahman which is not based on the true knowledge, how can that become the means for liberation? Because liberation can be obtained only by the true knowledge of Brahman. So this is the question. Samvadi Brahmat Evaiti. He says, well, just as we told you that the person saw a small circle of light emanating from a jam. What he saw was light and not the jam. And he thought it was jam. So what he knew and what was there were two different things. Therefore, his knowledge was not true knowledge. <coughs> Even though his knowledge was not true knowledge, still it led him to the acquiring or getting that jam. Somehow even that false knowledge also led him to the desired end. Similarly also, when you are meditating upon Brahman, even though it is not true knowledge, and still that meditation upon Brahman can become a means for knowledge of Brahman. <coughs> that's the whole thesis, that's the, the point that the author wants to make here. And so the verse 13 says what we discussed here. Swayam Brahmo Pisamvadi Swayam Brahmo Pisamvadi Yatha Samyak Palak Pradaha Yatha Samyak Palak Pradaha Brahmatatu Pasanapi Brahmatatu Pasanapi Tatha Mukti Palak Prada Tatha Mukti Palak Prada Swayam Brahmopi Samvadi. We said that what is known as Samvadi Brahma or a leading error is still an error. Yatha Samyak Palapradaha. That leading error, in spite of being an error, still became the means for attainment of the desired end. As we said, like mistaking the light from a jam to be jam, which is an error, and still it resulted into getting the jam which was a desired end. So leading error and misleading error, both are errors. But leading error is that which results into acquiring or getting what we are looking seeking. So Swayam Brahma Opi Samvadi, just as Samvadi Brahma or the leading error, even though it's an error, Yatha Samyak Phalapradaha, just as it results into the attainment of the desired end, Brahma Tattva Upasana and so also Upasana or meditation upon Brahma also is not true to Brahma. Is not true to Brahma, and even then, tasa mukti phalapada. So, meditation upon Brahman is comparable to the leading error. Is not quite the leading error, but comparable to leading error. Just as leading error results into acquiring of the desire, attainment of the desired end, and so also meditation upon Brahman, even though not true to Brahman, still becomes a means for liberation. Mukti phalapada. <coughs> As the proposition, which will be explained in many verses which follow.
A very interesting question is asked here. Nanu Brahmatattvam Jnatva Upasanam Kriyade Agnyatvava. So in the introduction to verse 14, a question is raised here that when you say meditation upon Brahman, please tell us that when one meditates upon Brahman, does that person know Brahman and then meditate on Brahman? Or the person does not know Brahman and then meditate on Brahman? See, when you are meditating on flower, when you are meditating on anything, the question is, is that object that you are meditating upon, is there an object of your knowledge? Do you perceive that object? And then are you meditating upon that? Or you do not perceive that object? So either a thing is perceived known or it is unknown. There cannot be something in between. So please tell us that when you are talking of meditation upon Brahman, are we talking of meditating upon Brahman that is known or meditating upon Brahman that is unknown? Please tell us. Both ways there is problem. Adye upasana vayasyam. If you know Brahman already, then what is the need of meditation? Because you know it. So you want to meditate upon Brahman in order to know it. But here, suppose Brahman, the question is, do you know Brahman and then meditate? Or you do not know Brahman and then meditate? Then the, if you say that Brahman is known, then it is meditated upon, then it is said that the meditation is redundant because you already know Brahman. Adye, Upasana, Vayarsham. If you already know Brahman, then meditation upon them is redundant because you already know it. <coughs> What's the need of meditating upon something that you already have? You meditate upon something which is not in front of you normally. Moksha sadhanasya, jnanasya, vidyamanatva. In fact, knowledge of Brahman is the means for moksha or liberation. And so that knowledge of Brahman, which is a means for moksha or liberation, is already there. What's the need of meditation? Why do you want to meditate? Because you want liberation. But what's the means of liberation? The knowledge of Brahman. If knowledge of Brahman is already there, if Brahman is already known, then there is no need for meditation because already that knowledge itself is a means for liberation. <coughs> and now if you say that you Brahman is not known, Brahman upon which you are trying to meditate is not known. Dvitiye vishaya if Brahman is not known, then how will you meditate upon that? The question is, if Brahman is known, there is no need for meditation because the knowledge of Brahman is what you are seeking, is itself the means for liberation. And if Brahman is not known, then how will you meditate upon that? Suppose you ask you to meditate on Gagabhuma, something like that, you know. What will you meditate upon? For meditation you require some knowledge, and then alone you can meditate. So if Brahman is unknown, you cannot meditate upon that. If Brahman is known, you don't have to meditate upon that because knowledge of Brahman is ultimate end. So what are you talking about? When you are talking about meditation upon Brahman, what's, what are you talking about? It doesn't seem to make sense at all. So is Brahman known? Then there is no need for meditation. Brahman unknown? Then you cannot meditate because you cannot visualize or meditate upon something which is unknown to you. <coughs> Can you sitting here meditate upon, you know, uh, a particular shrine in the Himalayas, let us say, you don't know what it is. If I give you some description, and if you have seen some pictures and what not, then you can meditate upon that. But then, you cannot meditate upon something that is totally unknown to you. And so, verse 14 answers this question. 
वेदाभ्यो ब्रह्मतत्व वेदाभ्यो ब्रह्मतत्व अखंडकसात्मक अखंडकसात्मक परोक्षमवगम्य परोक्षमवगम्य अहमस्मीपासदे अहमस्मीपासदे वेदाभ्य ब्रह्मतत्व अखंड एकसात्मक परोक्षम अवगम्य उपासते So when I give a description, as I said, uh, of a shrine in the Himalayas, when I give you a description, then you can perhaps get a picture in your mind based on my description, and you can even think of that shrine or you can meditate upon that. But that is still what we call parokshyanam or indirect knowledge or immediate knowledge because you have not seen it with your own eyes. Only when you go to that place and see that shrine, then alone it becomes what we call immediate knowledge. So you must have heard from Swami talking about laddu. He says, once you know, laddu means this round, sweet round ball, having a grandeur. So Swami was once describing to one of the American students a a sweet dish called laddu. Swami, how does it look like? It's round. About uh, two inches in diameter, granular in structure, yellow in color, sweet in taste, and all these description of laddu was given to this person. So he has some kind of a knowledge. But then he, you know, now one one day, the same person happened to come to Bombay, the Bombay ashram. And that day there was the lunch was served, and that happened to be a day when there was a feast. And this, the food was there. This person was eating. At that time, there was in his plate a round ball having granular structure, yellow in color. Swami, what is this? This is a laddu. And he takes a piece of it and puts it in his mouth and tastes it. That is when he knows exactly what that laddu is. So so far, the knowledge of laddu that he had was indirect knowledge. He has some kind of a picture in his mind, all right, but when he actually puts it in his mouth on his tongue, then he gets the taste of it. He gets what we call immediate or direct perception. So, indirect knowledge or immediate knowledge has to be converted into the immediate knowledge. Take another example: that on the hillock you see smoke, and from that you infer that there must be fire. So. What you are perceiving is smoke, but then you have the knowledge in your mind of fire, and that is true knowledge because there is fire. Wherever the smoke is, fire must be. But you have not seen the fire. Only when you go there and watch the fire, look at the fire by you know with your own eyes, then alone the knowledge of fire becomes what we call direct knowledge or immediate knowledge. Until then, that knowledge is indirect knowledge. 
immediate knowledge. And when you see it with your own eyes, then it becomes immediate knowledge. <coughs> so this is the case with every object. That either you infer inferential knowledge is indirect, or Shabda Jnana meaning the knowledge that you gain by description, hearing the description, that also is indirect knowledge. And it becomes direct or immediate only when you perceive it with your own sense organ. <coughs> Similarly also, Brahman, the knowledge of Brahman also falls in two categories. Direct knowledge and indirect knowledge. Mediate knowledge and immediate knowledge. Paroksha Jnanam and Aparoksha Jnanam. In Vedanta, the words used are Paroksha Jnanam. Paroksha meaning indirect or immediate. Aparoksha meaning direct or immediate knowledge. <coughs> So Vedantejya Brahma Tattvam Akhandai Karasatvakam Paroksham Avagamya When you listen to the Vedanta text from the teacher, then what you get first is what we call Paroksha Jnanam or indirect knowledge. Brahma Tattvam, that there is Brahma. How is that Brahma? Akhandam, it is indivisible. Ekarasatvakam, it is one homogeneous. So when we listen to these scriptures, then we understand in our mind that, and logically it is explained to us, unfolded to us, and therefore we do understand in our mind logically that there is Brahman, there is truth, which is one, without a second, indivisible, homogeneous. And this is how we understand Brahman from listening to the scriptures. This is called Parokshidhyanam. It is called indirect knowledge or immediate knowledge. So I am Abhiprayaha Brahmatmaikatva Aparoksha Jnanasya then Paroksham Avagamya Erad Ahamasmiti Upasade. Then what do you do? You have now what we call Paroksha Jnanam or indirect knowledge of Brahman. That Brahman is Brahman is one without a second. It is indivisible. It is homogeneous. It is nature of Ananda. It is Satya Chit Ananda. This is how you know it all right. But still, the meaning of the word Sat, Chit or Ananda, meaning of what is indivisible, meaning of what is limitless, meaning of what is complete or whole, does not place in your mind. So words are there and you have some kind of an idea about the words, but then still the words are not clear. The words do not clearly reveal themselves. In that case, that becomes what we call indirect knowledge. So when we use the word limitless, we imagine in our mind that Brahman is free from limitations. That which is free from limitation is Brahman. But what is it? It is whole. It is complete. That which is devoid of any lack or incompleteness is Brahman. All right? But I know what is incompleteness, but I do not know what is that which is devoid of incompleteness. I know what is limitation, but I do not see in my mind what is it that is limitless. So as long as these words are not understood for what they are, so long the knowledge is what we call parokshignanam or indirect knowledge. And that forms the basis for what we call upasana or meditation. So meditation is possible when the knowledge of the object is indirect knowledge. If the object is in front of you, there is no need for meditation at all because you are perceiving that. If the object is totally unknown to you, you cannot meditate because your mind cannot visualize it. So meditation is possible 
when the object of meditation is known, parokshadaya is known indirectly. <coughs> Similarly also, after while listening to the scriptures, we know Brahman indirectly. Brahma ayam ifipraya, the idea is this, Brahmatma ikatva aparokshadhyanasya moksha sadhanasya anutpannatvat naupasana vayasyam. Still, the knowledge of Brahman, immediate knowledge of Brahman, which is a means of moksha, that is not there. Where would the upasana or meditation become unnecessary? Only when Brahman is known immediately. Still, Brahman is not known immediately, and therefore, the meditation is not unnecessary. Shastrat, parokshataya, avagatattvat, brahmana, upasana, vishatvam. At the same time, from the scriptures, we know Brahman indirectly. And therefore, that Brahman can become the object of meditation. So, see the peculiar condition. The question was, if you know Brahman, then you don't need to meditate on that. If you do not know Brahman, then you cannot meditate on that. Says, we know Brahman and still we do not know. We know Brahman indirectly. Therefore, it can become object of meditation. But we do not know Brahman directly. And therefore, the meditation is not yet unnecessary. It is necessary and useful. So, Parokshataya Jnatam Brahma, Brahman that is known indirectly or immediately becomes the object of meditation. Ahamasmiti Upasade, that Brahma I am, and this is how it is meditated upon. Akhandai Karasatmakam Brahma, Ahamasmi, I am that Brahman which is one, indivisible, and of the nature of as homogeneous essence, that is what I am in this manner, Brahma is to be meditated upon. <coughs> Now, in between, a few questions arise, which are taken up and answered here. Upasya Brahmatattva Gocharasya Parokshajnanasya Kim Rupam Ityashankya Ashankayam Aha Okay, now the question is that you are talking about Parokshajnanam or indirect knowledge. Which indirect knowledge enables me to meditate upon Brahman. So, Kim Rupam, what is the nature of that indirect knowledge? Please tell us. So, what is the nature of immediate knowledge and what is the nature of immediate or indirect knowledge of Parakshadhyanam? So, next verse answers that in verse 15. Pratyagvyaktimanullekhya Pratyag Vyaktimanulikya Shastra Vishnuadi Murtivada Shastra Vishnuadi Murtivada Astibram Hedi Samanya Astibram Hedi Samanya Nyana Matraparokshadi Nyana Matraparokshadi Pratyag Vyaktim Anulikya When Brahman is known, not known as Pratyag, when Brahman is not known as a self, Brahman is known all right as Brahma is, but Brahman is not known as a self. Pratyag Vyaktim Anulikya Pratyag Vyaktim Buddhyadisakshanam Anandatmanam Anulikya Avishayikritya So, Still, it is not a matter of my immediate knowledge. I know Brahman all right. I said Brahman is one without a second. 
it is indivisible, it is homogeneous essence. I know Brahman that way. But I do not know Brahman is myself. What is meant there is that I am that one without a second, indivisible, homogeneous essence. So Brahman is known as one without a second. But as long as that Brahman is not known as my very self, so long that knowledge is indirect knowledge. Brahman is known, but then not known as buddhyad sakshinam. It is not known as the witness of my mind. Anandatmanam, that is the nature of ananda. It is nature of fullness or completeness. So I do not know it as myself, which is the witness or full or complete. Anulikya means avishayikritya, sakshat, shastrat, satya jnanadi vakya jatat, brahmasti divam, samanya karana jayamanam jnanam, atra upasana, asyam upasanayam, parokshadihi, parokshadhyanam vivakshitam ityarthaham. So I listen to the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Satyam jnanam anantam brahma. What is satyam? That which is truth, which is changeless. What is jnanam? Of the nature of knowledge, intelligence, awareness. What is anandam? Free from limitations. Which is complete. So I know Brahman as complete, free from limitations and uh, intelligence, awareness, existence, truth, I know. But that very truth, very existence, very intelligence, I am, that I do not know. You see the difference here? That Brahman is, Brahman is, but that very Brahman I am, as long as Brahman is not known as a self, so long that knowledge is what we call parokshajnanam or indirect knowledge. Satyajnanadi vakya jadat brahmasti, that brahma is. It is truth. It is intelligence. It is limitless. Evam samanya akaryana jayamanam jnanam. That such brahman such as this is, this kind of a general knowledge is asyam upasanayam parokshadihi. This is called parokshajnanam or indirect knowledge. And that Brahman, which is known indirectly, becomes the object of meditation. <coughs> when Brahman is known as Asmi, as long as Brahman is known as Asti, it is, so long it is indirect knowledge. When it is known as Asmi, that is my very self, then alone that knowledge is called Aparokshajnanam or immediate knowledge. An illustration is given, Tattva Drashtandha, illustration is given, Shastrat Vishnuvadi Murtivata. Vishnu is the name of a deity, is a, a sustainer. So we have the trinity, Brahma, Vishnu and Mahesha, the creator, sustainer and destroyer. So here is given the illustration of Vishnu. Vishnu means all pervasive. He is the sustainer. And he is described in the scripture as having certain features, having four arms and wielding different weapons in those arms. In one arm there is a conch, in second arm there is a discus, the third arm there is the maze, in the fourth hand there is the lotus. This is how we find that Vishnu, Lord Vishnu has the four arms, in four hands he is wielding this kind of objects. And this is how the description is given. So Vishnuvadi Murti Pratipadaka Shastra Janyajnatvat Jnanavat and they based on this description they make the idols. So if you go to the temple of Lord Vishnu you will find that Lord Vishnu standing there the idol will be standing having four arms and this kind of weapons that I just described in the four hands. 
and having those specific features, specific kind of ornaments and whatever it is, or Dakshinamurti for that matter. This, for example, the image of Dakshinamurti that is made, is made according to a certain description. It is according to scriptures. It is not that the sculptor, by the figment of his own imagination, makes something. He has to follow the Shastra. There's a whole Shastra of the scriptures. So not only the method of of uh, forming or making the idol is according to the scripture, but what form the idol has, what feature it has, all of these, and what are the proportions, all of this also is is found in the Shastra and the scriptures. So that is what we call a Dhyana Shloka, a verse of meditation pertaining to every form. So we chant, Svatikarajita Varanam, Mauktiki Makshamalam, Amruta Kalashavidyam, Gnana Mudram Karagre. We chant a verse in invocation or in meditation to Lord Dakshinamurti, that Lord Dakshinamurti is one having the, uh, uh, having the hue or color of Svatika. Svatika means like this crystal. Or Rajata, like silver. Svatika Rajata Varanam. So Dakshinamurti shines like he is pure and clear, like the, like like a Svatika, like a crystal. And he shines like silver, white silver. So therefore, Lord Shiva is supposed to have white color. Vishnu is supposed to be of black color. Brahma is supposed to be of red color. Anyway, so Svatika Rajatavarnam. So one whose countenance, you know, is, is shining like silver and is pure and white like a crystal. Mauktikim Akshamaram. One who has, in one of the hands, there are four hands, four arms, in one of the hands, he is having a mala, a rosary, made of the pearls, Mauktikim Akshamanam. Amruta Kalasha, in one hand, he is holding the pot of nectar or ambrosia. Vidyam, in other hand, he is holding a book of knowledge. Gnana Mudra, in the fourth hand, he is showing the gesture of Gnana Mudra. Dadatam Urudakaksham, that there is a snake as the belt, so Dasatam Kaksham Chandrasudam has moon which adorns his, his matted locks. Trinetram has three eyes. Vividhuta Vividhabhusham and wearing various kinds of ornaments. This Dakshinamurti I meditated on. So that is a particular form. This according to that form and thus many such so Dakshinamurti forms are there are several variations. So I just described to you one particular variation. And there are several variations also in which Dakshinamurti's forms are found in the scriptures and accordingly they will make that image. So all the Im- image is made according to the instructions we find in the scriptures. <coughs> so Vishnu is a Devada which is mentioned here having these four hands, having those weapons, having certain features, having certain ornaments. On the chest of the Vishnu, there is a particular kind of a uh, precious stone called Kaustubhamani and there is a, a scar on the chest which is uh, which also has a certain name and thus every deity has its own peculiar features and accordingly that image is made. And when we meditate upon that, with the help of the image, we meditate on that Lord Vishnu. So Vishnu Adi, or it can be Shiva, it can be any other deity which of which the form or image is in front of you Vishnuvadi, Murti, Pradipadaka, Shastra, Janya, Jnanavat. So, all of us have knowledge of how Vishnu looks like, how Brahma looks like, 
Brahma, Lord Brahma, the creator is supposed to have four heads as we were saying. We stand for four Vedas, looking in four directions, indicating the omniscience, knows everything that is in all the directions. And thus, this kind of descriptions are found. And when we read the descriptions, then we get a picture in our mind. And we meditate on the deity, based on that description, or an image which may be in front of us. But what's the nature of that knowledge? That knowledge is still indirect knowledge. Until you see that Lord, until you see that deity, directly in front of you, or perceive it immediately, then until then it remains what we call parokshignanam, or indirect knowledge. So how we meditate upon Lord, or different deities, with the help of the images, or with the help of the description that is provided by the scriptures. Similarly also here, we meditate upon Brahman, with the help of the description or the unfoldment of the scriptures, that is Satyam, Gnanam, Anantam. Brahman suggests this is, and I meditate upon that as my very self. <coughs> okay, now while being on the matter of subject of this Parokshignanam or indirect knowledge, a question is asked in Nanu, Shastrena Vishwadi Murtehe, Chatur Bhajatwadi Vishesha Pratidehe, Tajnanasyabi, Kutaha Parokshatvam, which is well. When these scriptures describe to you the form of Vishnu, that he has four arms and all these various features, and when you come to know of those features from the scripture, then why do you call that knowledge Parokshatvam or indirect knowledge? Why don't you call that knowledge the immediate knowledge or direct knowledge? And that is explained in the verse 16. Chatur bhuja adhyavagatavapi Chatur bhuja adhyavagatavapi Murtim anulikhan Murtim anulikhan Akshayif parokshagnyanyeva Akshayif parokshagnyanyeva Natada vishnamikshade Natada vishnamikshade Chatur bhuja adhyavagatavu Abhi murti manulikhan. That's how it is. Chatur bhujadi avagatavapi. Shastrena chatur bhujatvadi vishesha pratidavapi. Alright. He says, I know exactly how Lord Vishnu looks like because I have seen the description in the scriptures. So I know exactly how he looks like. Shastrena chatur bhujatvadi vishesha pratidavapi. Even though from the description in the scriptures that you know exactly how the features of the deity are. And you may exactly make an image like that, or you may draw a picture and everything else, exactly as for the description of scripture. As long as you do not see that form by your own eyes, until then it remains an indirect knowledge. As we say, that we can infer the presence of fire when we perceive the smoke. We know the fire all right, but we have not seen it with our own eyes, so until you see it with your own eyes, it remains indirect knowledge. And so also we have seen, I have heard the description of a certain deity from the scriptures, and accordingly we meditate upon that, but until we see it with our own eyes, until then that knowledge only remains indirect knowledge. So Vishnuvadimurtim Avishekurvanda Purushaha Parokshadhyaniva, a person who is meditating upon that particular form, still remains a Parokshadhyani or a person with indirect knowledge and not direct knowledge because he has not seen that form with his own eyes. He is seeing them through the eyes of the scriptures, through the picture that he has formed in his mind from the words of the scriptures, 
but he has not seen it himself. Natada Vishnamikshade Akshayhi Natada Vishnamikshade So Tatra Upatimaha The reason is Tada Upasana Kale Vishnu Upasim Naikshade Because when he is meditating upon that deity he does not see it by his own sense organs. Na Indriyahi Vishayikarodhi He sees it in his mind. He visualizes that form. Like Christ. Suppose you meditate on So you have certain picture of Christ in front of you. We assume that that is how he looked like. These debates are always there. How, how did it look like? So we find a picture of Christ and traditionally it is given to us and accordingly you may meditate. But that still remains what we call parokshudhyanam or indirect knowledge until Christ becomes an object of your direct or immediate perception. Unless you visualize him by your own eyes or in some way until then that knowledge only remains an indirect knowledge. Or suppose you heard the description of a person of a Swami, suppose he's coming here and you have heard, seen his picture, you have heard, uh, read his description and everything else and you have a pretty good picture in your own mind but until you see that person, until then it read that knowledge is what we call parokshudhyanam or indirect knowledge. Only when you see, then it becomes immediate knowledge. And therefore, in meditation, the knowledge, kind of knowledge that is involved in meditation is what we call parokshudhyanam or indirect knowledge, not immediate knowledge. <clears throat> oh, then the next question is Nanu Vishnuadi Gochara Jnanasya Vyaktulle Khitva Bhavad Brahmatpamityasankya Then that knowledge is, a, is only a delusion, isn't it? When it is not an immediate, until an object has become the object, until something has become the object of immediate knowledge, would you not say that it is Brahma or delusion? Is it not erroneous knowledge? So when you hear the, see the description of Dakshinamurti or Vishnu or whatever and you are meditating, what is the nature of that knowledge? Is it not Brahma or delusion? Vishnuvadi Gotra Jnanasya Vyakti Ullekhitva Bhavat Since you are not directly perceived that deity, so we should say that that is Brahma or that is delusion. So Vyakti Ullekhitva Bhavat Brahmatvam Ityashankya Pramanena Janitatvat Na Brahmatvam the answer is no. Even though you are not directly seen, it is not Brahma. So there, are, there is a Prama, there is Brahma. Brahma is delusion. You see a mist, you see mist there on the hillock, and you think there is fire there, you mistake that mist to be smoke. So mistaking the mist to be smoke is called Brahma. Mistaking rope for a snake is called Brahma or delusion. Mistaking a shell for silver is called Brahma or delusion. But then, when you perceive the smoke and infer the presence of fire, then you have the knowledge of fire. That knowledge of fire is not Brahma. It is not delusion because fire is really there. But still, it is not Pratyakshignanam, not immediate knowledge because you have not seen the fire. It is what we call Parokshignanam or indirect knowledge. So, knowledge can be Paroksha and Pratyaksha. It can be immediate and mediate. And therefore, just because something is not known to you directly or immediately does not mean that the knowledge is illusion. You heard about somebody or about something. So you are putting your idea in your mind as to how that person or a thing looks like. And so it is true knowledge. It is not Brahma or delusion. And still in spite of its being true knowledge, it is still not immediate knowledge because you have not seen that person or thing with your own eyes. <coughs> 
So, so that is what is being said in the verse. Pramanena janitatvat na brahmatvam. Since the knowledge that you have in your mind is born of pramanam or the valid means of knowledge in the scriptures, therefore that knowledge, even though not immediate knowledge, even though it is only immediate or indirect knowledge, still it is not brahma or delusion. That's the point that is made in the verse 17. Parokshatva paradhena Parokshatva paradhena Bhavena tattva vedanam Bhavena tattva vedanam Pramane naiva shastrena Pramane naiva shastrena Sattva murter vibhasanad Sattva murter vibhasanad Parokshatva aparadhena Bhavedana atattva vedanam Just because that knowledge is defective knowledge in as much as it is not immediate knowledge, it is indirect knowledge. So even though the knowledge has a limitation in the, fa- in ter- in the sense that it is indirect knowledge of parokshagnanam, parokshagnanatvam bhranti jnanatve karanam nabhavati, just because something is not known immediately, it is not, it is known only immediately, that does not mean that the knowledge is bhranti or knowledge is delusion. Kintu visha asattvam. When do you call a given knowledge delusion? Only when the thing is not there and you see it. So snake is not there, you see the snake there, that knowledge is called Brahma or delusion. What is there is shell, silver is not there, there is a piece of shell and you see the silver, that will be called Brahma or delusion. So that knowledge is called delusion when the object of knowledge is not existent and you see it. But when the object of knowledge is existent and you know it indirectly, then it is not Brahma. Like the fire is there in the hill, you have not seen it, but it is there, and you know the fire is there, and so that knowledge, even though not direct knowledge, is not Brahma, because the object is there, and you know it to be there. Similarly, Brahma is there, and you know it to be there. You don't know it as your own self, therefore it has not yet become a paroksha or immediate, but definitely you know it as existing, and therefore it is not Brahma. And so also Dakshinamurti, or Vishnu, or any other form, deity. You have not seen it directly, so it is not direct knowledge. But it is not Brahma, it is not delusion. It is not imagination. It is true knowledge, and as much as it comes from the scriptures, which are the valid means of knowledge. So, Parokshajnanatvam, Bhrantijnanatve, Karanam, that is the reason why all worships and all meditations are performed only in accordance with traditions. So, there is, for every culture, for every religion, there is a tradition. It is handed down to us through the scriptures. And they ask us to meditate or they ask to perform a worship in a particular manner. So, there we went to the church and we, I saw the kind of worship which was the first time I found, no? How the worship takes place there. You go to a temple in India, worship or here, worship is of entirely different kind. But if you go to a synagogue, the worship will be quite of a different kind. Where, what is the source of these forms of worship? The scriptures. And the scriptures, as long as are regarded as a valid source of knowledge, so long these worships are not Brahma. It is not imagination, it is not delusion. It is true, but then it is not true, totally true in as much as you have not directly seen it. If you experience it directly, then it becomes your true knowledge. And until then it remains only indirect knowledge. And so also in the Indian tradition, there are all forms, different forms given to us of different devatas, different deities. 
Just because you have not seen that deity with your own eyes doesn't mean that the knowledge is Brahma or delusion. That it can be someday seen. If you can develop those eyes, then you will be able to see that deity. Until then, you meditate on that and it remains parokshyanam or indirect knowledge. Ihatu Pramana Bhutena Shastraneva Yatharth Bhutayaha Vishnuadi Murtehe Avasanat Nabhamatvam. Here that image of Vishnu or Dakshinamurti or whatever is there in accordance with the scriptures, which are the valid means of knowledge, and therefore, when you know Dakshinamurti, that knowledge is true knowledge, not Dhamma, not delusion. Although it is not your direct knowledge or immediate knowledge, because you don't know, don't see Dakshinamurti, you don't perceive him immediately in, in by your senses, but then still in as much as you are meditating based on the the form that is revealed by the scriptures, it is still called valid knowledge. Therefore, valid knowledge also can be of two types. It can be immediate or mediate. So it can be pratyaksha or paroksha. So the knowledge of the fire that you have by inference from the smoke also is valid knowledge. Although it is paroksha it is indirect knowledge. And when you go there and see it by your own eyes, then it becomes aparokshignanam or immediate knowledge. So that's the point that is being made. Knowledge is two of two kinds. Number one, valid and invalid. Brahma and Prama. Valid knowledge and invalid knowledge. Or true knowledge and delusion. And the valid knowledge further is of two kinds. Paroksha and Pratyaksha. Indirect and direct. So the valid knowledge, indirect knowledge also is valid Valid because it comes from a valid source of knowledge, namely scriptures. Similarly also, when you listen to Vedanta, you know Brahman, Satyam, Jnana, Manandam, and whatever existence, awareness, intelligence, limitless, then these words are all valid, and therefore your understanding of them also is valid. And still, until you know Brahman as the very self, it is not what we call a Jnanam or immediate knowledge, it still remains Jnanam or indirect knowledge. And you have to convert that paroksha or indirect knowledge to aparoksha or immediate knowledge. And for that, this upasana is an extremely helpful means. Converting paroksha to aparoksha Indirect knowledge to immediate knowledge, that step is upasana. That's how the role of upasana or meditation upon Brahman is presented by the author in this chapter. Okay, we'll continue. <coughs> Om Purnamadas Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutau Vande Bhagavantau Punaf Punaha Ishwaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shantishantishanti Hari Om Sri Guru Namaha Hari Om